Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guests are Craig Clickner and Carrie Bolig, founders of Tandem Consulting. And this is a modern definition of power couple. We've seen Jay-Z and Beyonce. We saw back in the oh, back in the day, Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale from Bush. Those types of power couples we're used to. This is a modern day one where they have combined their forces. They come from two different backgrounds, but they've combined to create something really cool. And they are the authors of the new book, So You Want to Start a Side Hustle, Build a Business that Empowers You to Live Your Life Your Way. They're telling us how we can finish those projects, those ideas, those side hustles that we are starting, we have the seedlings for, we want to get into, but we just don't know where to take it from there, how to go from start to finish, how to surround yourself with better people, the importance of referrals and having a strong network around you. We discuss very important topics like whether Chicago is actually a part of the Midwest or not, and there's so much more going on in here. Carrie and Craig are also kind enough to share their worst mistakes that they've made throughout their various businesses, and there's just a lot of good advice in here, a lot of good takeaways, and by the end of it, you're going to be like, okay, first of all, I need to read this book. Second of all, I need to visit tandemconsulting.co and learn everything I can because there's so much here in store. If you'd like to get in touch with Good People Cool Things, you can do so via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at GPCT Podcast. You can also always send an email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. And subscribe to the show so that you're getting episodes delivered right to your device, whether you're getting it through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, it's there for you so that you can get some wonderful ideas, lessons, insights, and just good stories. You can also support the show via the merch shop. Go to goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop. Pick out a shirt, hoodie, hat, whatever you want to make yourself look super stylish. We've got it for you. We've also got a great conversation with Craig and Carrie. For people who don't know who you are, can you give us your elevator pitch, but can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Craig Clickner and Carrie Boleg. And, you know, we realized pretty early on, at least I realized very early on in my life, I didn't, didn't want to work for someone else forever. Um, I studied finance and econ with the specific intent of like, hey, how do I create enough income where someday I can divorce my time from my money, right? So essentially create that passive or what, what I call progressive passive income in some sense. And so I studied finance. I worked for uh, Deutsche Bank and G Capital and tried to you know get into the real estate game, bought my first property at 24, started investing. Um, but how do you scale those once you run out of money? Uh, the reality is you can't if you're not willing to borrow or get super crazy risky, which I was a banker, so I was not. Mm. Um, and so I really got to that point of frustration of like, hey, how am I going to like expedite this process and create some, some more autonomy in my life? And uh, ended up stumbling upon some other successful entrepreneurs who'd done that using more just pre-built systems, driving revenue online, affiliate marketing, some different systems like that, and ended up following them through the wormhole. And so my biggest takeaway from early on, which is what we talk about as a theme, is like, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur hang out with successful entrepreneurs. Pretty, pretty simple. Um, but amazingly, a lot of people don't, don't do that. So um, that uh, resulted in, you know, starting to build a company that I built to about quarter million, half a million. Uh, whereas then enter Carrie Bolig, we actually met through um, our business partners and um, maybe you can take over part of the story from there. Yeah. So my background is 
quite different from Craig. I actually studied sociology and women's studies. Um, everything I'd really done professionally was with children. So I was a preschool teacher post-college as well as coaching youth athletics. So for me, I didn't hate my career. I actually really enjoyed my job. And that's oftentimes a misnomer of starting a side, side hustle is that you have to hate your job. But for me, it was more that gut check of like, man, I've done pretty much everything right. I went to college. I went to a good school. I will not claim to have been an academic standout, but like I graduated, did well enough, got a good job. And yet when I thought about the trajectory I was on compared to like what my life vision was and where I wanted to be five to 10 years out, there wasn't a lot of intersection and we call that the fulfillment gap. And mm -hmm. I think so many people experience that. Usually it's like a couple years into the career, maybe a handful of years. I was lucky to figure that out fairly quickly. And so for me, assessing, well, what are my options to diversify or do something outside to supplement? I didn't have a lot because I didn't have a lot of business background. I didn't have confidence to build something from the ground up and similar to Craig, but even more pronounced, I didn't have a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, was on yeah. a, I was on a teacher's budget. So it was what is a practical and effective and somewhat efficient way to build something. And again, that's what drew me back to this idea of moderate entrepreneurship or building out a side hustle and focusing more on progressive incremental growth versus, you know, building something from the ground up 80 hours a week. Yeah. And so then we were able to take our first business, you know, that our mentors taught us how to do and build that to a million in revenue. Carrie stepped away from her career in her mid twenties. Uh, we then scaled that to several million in revenue um, and then started coaching and teaching other people how to do it, which is one of our primary operating companies now is people want to start a side hustle, but they don't know what to do. And they certainly don't know who uh, to take help from. And so that's where we step in and can help people um, in certain scenarios um, actually build some of the things that we've actually done. And, and we've helped several other people do that. That would lead to public speaking uh, and eventually um, got to do quite a bit of that. We speak to about 15, 20,000 people a year in non-COVID times. <laughs> uh, and uh, then that allowed me to step away from my corporate uh, banking job a few years ago and really um, essentially wake up and, and do what we want with our life. And um, now we've picked up other projects like writing a book. That's always been a dream of ours. Been fortunate that McGraw-Hill agreed to, to allow us to write one for them. Uh, and so that's coming out in a few days. Uh, then we also do some investing. Uh, we started a nonprofit. We launched our podcast, Tandem Talks, which we've just got off the ground and rolling. Um, but mostly we consider ourselves um, full-time parents and, and um, part-time business owners, entrepreneurs. So we're very blessed to have the life that we have and we love paying that forward to other people. Um, and, you know, lastly, the we've, thing we've, project we've been able to work on is launch a nonprofit to help children in need. So um, that's pretty much our, our backdrop. Uh, do some other things with investing and, and working on co-founding a, a tech startup, but, you know, a little, really more side stuff that's, that's uh, you know, under the hood and, and inventing in the basement now that we've got the baseline revenue and, and kind of freed up our time and created that autonomy we want. So just working on a, a couple of things, it sounds like, yeah. You got a few irons <laughs> here and there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's but it's amazing when you suck out that 40, 50 hour a week responsibility of a job, what you can insert in there, especially when you know how to work effectively and if you've got good, you know, relationships and stuff. So, but yeah, yes, we do have a few. Well, that's always, I, I always say it's better to, to have lots going on than, than being bored like that. And I definitely want to get into the book because that is fantastic. But to, to kind of just, look at a broader overview of your consulting, Tandem Consulting, are there certain types of people that you've kind of found you work best with, or is it really anyone that wants to start something but just doesn't know where to begin? 
Well, people who want to start something is different than people who want to build something of significance, right? And so a lot of times people want, think they want to build something of significance, but really they just want to make a little extra cash. And there's so many ways to do that. I would call that more the gig work or gig economy. You know, maybe you want to um, drive Uber or, you know, you want to sell something on Etsy and make a commission. Um, that's not really the people that we help in that specific lane. We help people more that have their regular career, they're doing well, but they want to build something of significance consistently over time um, that can that can ultimately replace their income if they choose to, to take it to that level. So um, a lot of people in their mid-20s to mid-30s who are just like, hey, I want to do something um, outside my career. I have the time, I have the ambition. And then kind of more of the baby boomers who are looking at retirement going like, hey, I have this time my kids are out of the house. Um, the people that are a little harder for us to help are people maybe in their 40, 50, 45, in that range where if you've got young kids, 35, you've got young kids, you're really busy with your career, then sometimes it is hard to build something significant outside of that. So I'd say that's our, our general range. Um, but then we also do, you know, public speaking for companies and kind of helping other organizations, you know, teach people how to build side hustles like real estate agencies and things like that. So that's a part of the Tandem Consulting brand. Very cool. And as far as the... Uh, the the folks that you have worked with, has there ever been a, a crazy, unusual side hustle that someone has, has brought in? <laughs> uh, you know, yes, we tend to avoid them if they're super crazy because <laughs> I probably, we probably don't have the expertise to help them. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we have found some very, very interesting uh, dynamic uh, things that have come to us, but uh, usually a lot of times involving the internet, sometimes not always legal, sometimes then legal later, you know, I mean, just all kinds of different interesting things, but we tend to avoid anything that's super, super wild and crazy. One of the things that we talk about though, is a lot of people think that they need to be passionate about a side hustle and they think that it needs to be, or they need to be an inventor. And the reality is, trust me, as a former commercial banker, most business owners or a lot are not inventors. They took a system like a franchise or an agency and they just followed a formula. And so one of the things that we really stress for folks is, do you need to be an inventor with your first business? Because uh, Hark, your first business does not need to be your last, <laughs> right? Um, and so you'll have other side hustles if you're successful or, or front hustles for that matter. Um, but then really like, do, or do you really want to just create something significant and more predictable so you can step away from a corporate job or at least have more freedom and flexibility. And so one of the things that we do is give people some of the systems that we utilize and teach them how to use those systems because, um, then, then they're, they have a better helping hand and more parameters if they've never built another business of significance. Diving into the book, which I feel like you're, you're kind of setting up nicely with that, that that's probably something that you talk about in the book. We always love a good segue on this podcast. So your book, So You Want to Start a Side Hustle, Build a Business that Empowers You to Live Your Life Your Way. We are, as we're recording, this comes out in five days. As you're listening yeah. to it, it's already available. So go out and get it because I, I love this distinction that you make on it. It's how to finish a hustle and not start it. I think at the start of the pandemic, everyone was going to build the next bread empire. You know, we were all making sourdough starter at home. Uh, I did not partake in this, but I'd say several of my uh, colleagues did, a lot of friends. <laughs> Both my sisters did too. <laughs> yes, it's tough to be gluten-free during COVID, man. <laughs> As yeah, as far as I know, none of them have have taken that to empire status or even uh, selling that bread or maybe even finishing a, a single loaf of bread. I think a lot of people maybe just gave up early on with that. So, what's kind of the 
the differentiator of like how you can go just from starting it to actually finishing your side hustle. Yeah. I think it's important to consider like, what is a win, right? Exactly. What's the life vision? How do you, how do you want to live? Who do you want to become in the process? How do you want to actually like, what type of time wealth or time flexibility do you want to create as a function of growing a side hustle? Because if you don't have that defined, you're chasing a a moving target. And building a business is already challenging enough, let alone moving your target while you're trying to actually create success and, and scale something. So we lean heavily in the book on establishing your why or your whys, plural. And from that, really, really discerning what's the life vision. And then from there, instead of focusing so much on the what, whether it's the sour bread, sourdough bread starter company <laughs> or... Uh, you know, building maybe a franchise. Um, we can go on and on with ideas of, of what, but instead of going straight there, what we suggest is actually go more to the who. Who do you know? Who in your sphere of influence? Who on social media can you hunt down in stock? Who can you tap into that's actually already created that life vision? Because if flexible and open-minded on the what, That's probably one of the best tips we can give you is to have some flexibility on the medium. But if you find people who can help you create that life, then the medium is more of just like the after afterthought, right? Then you can actually identify someone who can give you the playbook, the blueprint, the roadmap on how to actually build something that can lead you down the path that you want to go because they've done it. And so this is a little counter culture because most people are like, well, I want to do the sourdough bread thing, or I'm really into real estate. And it's like, are you really, or did you just happen to come upon that? And so now it's sort of interesting to you. Kind of sexy and fresh. Yeah. And now you're just thinking, but are you, when you step back at your life, is your gift to the world really going to be sourdough bread? Like that's fine if it is, but is that the best system for you to create like real income and scale something, or are you just looking to make a little extra cash, which is fine, but you want to identify and isolate that out. And so one of the things that we put in the book is a business evaluator. So you can take a look at different businesses and then start to go through, Hey, can I scale this? How much expertise will this require and start to, to magnify or quantify a little bit how to approach like building something that can help you create the life that you want. And we, we talk a lot about like, we wanted to use entrepreneurship as a tool to create a magical life, not just like an end all be all to say like, ah, I'm a side hustler. I'm a business owner. I'm awesome. It's like, no, it's a, it's a tool that we use to get where we want to go. Yeah. And Carrie, going back to what you said about uh, finding people that have kind of laid out this, this blueprint, um, you mentioned stalking on social media. And I think uh, for some people, social media comes naturally and they're, you know, they're on it a lot. I think it's also very easy to go down rabbit holes and mm-hmm. what what are kind of, uh, you know, a top tip or two for finding someone that might be able to help you that won't result in like, you know, five or six hours of like mindlessly scrolling Instagram, for example? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a couple different things can be helpful. And number one, referrals from trusted sources that yes. you know that actually has maybe done business with that person or they have more of the inside scoop on authentic results And I think it's challenging, like in the 21st century, I think it's a bit tricky to assess results on social media because 
if we just take things at face value, everybody's winning, everybody's driving jets around and like on their yacht. Right. But that's not really the reality. And, and even people who are super successful, there's a ton of successful entrepreneurs who aren't leveraging social media and don't have a strong social media presence. Interestingly enough that maybe they're in a little bit older generation, or that's just not the approach they've taken. So knowing that you have to get good at discerning and, and, one way you can do that, I think, is through referral or finding a common source. Um, the other is getting into dialogue with those folks and, and having good questions that you can ask. And we know a lot of people that have paid a lot of money for coaches online and they haven't necessarily fulfilled like a lot of growth. Well, in those cases, I would say they maybe didn't do their due diligence and actually doing some background checks maybe doing, you know, finding reviews from other people who have leveraged their services or even asking, Hey, you know, I just want to get my feet wet with some of your services and your skills. Do you have any past clients I could maybe check in with just to hear their experience and understand some of the benefits and the growth you help them with? I mean, something as simple as, as that can just give you a leg up on really making sure the investments you are making, whether time-wise, like you said, or monetarily can actually be a good, create a good return. Think about everybody in their has in their sphere of influence, usually maybe second or third degree connections of someone who's built a successful business, right? Like a real big business, not like they have a restaurant and they work there 80 hours a week. I'm saying like something that's been scaled. Start there. Most of us are not as intentional as we should be about the associations we keep. And so one of the things that we did well is we became, we did a lot of things wrong. <laughs> many, many, things <laughs> many wrong. things wrong. But one thing we did do is we started to be more intentional about people who had created the lifestyle that we wanted and sought those people out and more heavily weighted the time and their advice from them. But those people aren't always looking for you. Um, the, the people who are going to be your mentors and really support you are probably not people in your current sphere of influence. And so that's a little bit of a shocker for most people. It's like, oh, I have to put effort into getting a mentor. <laughs> like, Yeah. And you got to sell them. And honestly, the people who are super excited to be your mentor maybe shouldn't be. <laughs> they're, they're probably busy and they're probably going to be hard to pin down. I mean, I've put in a call to a guy who, who owns a you know, very, very large business and he has not returned my call. I've messaged him like four times and called him once and I got to play golf with him several months ago. I know that that's the way it is. And I'm just going to keep fighting and get his time. It makes me more motivated to get on his calendar. But um, that's great. Like, that's how it should be. And a lot of people are like, well, this person didn't email me back. It's like, why should they? They're a multimillionaire. They're busy. So you really got to uh, be intentional about not only a mentor, but then also the associations of other people are also on the journey with you. And that really creates the environment for you to win and gives you the support system because there's not a lot of Elon Musk out there in the world. What was his recent quote, Carrie, that you, that you want to state it or should I? Yeah. If you need a lot of cheerleading, like if you need a lot of handholding, you maybe shouldn't be an entrepreneur, right? If you need a ton of positive feedback and accolades, um, entrepreneurship might not actually be the right space for you. And, and while we agree with that on some level, I mean, I do think having a good association, some a good cheerleading squad, some hype people in your corner is powerful. I think the main message is like on some level, you have to learn how to be your own best hype person. Yep. And Elon Musk is operating on the furthest spectrum of entrepreneurship. And so like Carrie mentions, we talk a lot about moderate entrepreneurship. Like most of us, including ourselves, are not in the Elon Musk category. Like we're going to just start something random, be an inventor and build it from scratch and raise millions or hundreds of millions. 
It's like, nah, I think I'll sell some stuff on Etsy while I, after my day job ends. Right. <laughs> so like moving up that scale requires like finding the right associations to empower you through it. Um, just like learning a foreign language or a sport or anything else, you, you, you surround yourself with people who are already effective. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good note too, about kind of being your own biggest type person of your, you know, you don't need someone berating you in the corner, but you might not have someone that's going to lead you every step of the way. So believing yes. in yourself and then finding those, those folks that um, you can, you can bring into your circle, I think is, is super important. And we always love talking about bad moments on here. You said you've done plenty of things wrong as well in the past. What is one or two of those good, good, wrong things that you've done that you you know better to avoid now? My list is endless. I'll, I'll kick <laughs> off. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me was, well, two, two of the biggest issues at the front end was being an analytic, right? So being a former risk analyst and a commercial banker, like we tend to overmanage and over invest time in decisions and tend to be investment uh, adverse. So there's sort of like a few different levels of wealth. There's like the, I'm, I'm broke. I have no money, right? Like I don't make any money. I don't have any money. Then there's the, like, I'm in debt because I make money, but I spend more than I make. Then there's the like break even. And then moving into like that typical middle, upper middle class of like, I make more than I spend. So I'm going to save, 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 right? The level beyond that gets into business ownership because then you have to take some of that savings and being willing to invest it. And so for me, it's always a challenge to do that. I have to kind of fight against that because it's like, oh, this could be in the stock market or something. And the reality is you have to invest in better equipment. You have to do some marketing. You have to um, put a good profile together, maybe get a good picture. I mean, whatever it is, you know, you've got to do learn how to invest. And so for me, I've spent too much time uh, analyzing tiny decisions, trying to save money when I should have just gone for it and like moved forward and taken more action. Um, and so if we have confidence in our ability to learn from our failures, I say, as long as you're not going bankrupt, <laughs> you're not uh, going to end up in jail or dead, like give it a shot, like live a little it's life. And we talk about, uh, you know, side hustles or businesses as an ad venture, which is prefixes ad and venture. So you're adding a venture. Um, so if you have that sense of adventure in your life, that's something that I've had to embrace. That was my biggest one. Um, I've got others, but maybe care, you want to share a thought or two from your side. So at not having a business background, one of the funniest, I wouldn't even call it a mistake, but a mistake, but just sort of an embarrassing phase of my journey. I call it like the awkward Bambi phase. I was still kind of trying to get my legs, <laughs> but I would go to networking events and there'd usually be a speaker or some sort of like main, main stage element. But on the break, when you would actually do the networking, I would go camp out in the bathroom because I would be so uncomfortable and so awkward. I mean, I was 22. I was basically a college kid trying to network with some pretty high-end professionals and entrepreneurs. So kind of to the opposite of Craig's personality, I am much more of a swing the bat type person, but I'll probably fumble a lot more and make a lot more mistakes because I am usually a bit more action oriented. So I don't blame myself for going to the event. I don't blame myself for going to the bathroom for a little while, getting my bearings, you know, pumping myself back up because it's through those steps that I had to take. They're just so central to my journey and like how I had to grow in the process that I'm glad I was willing to do it. Or even just like doing business networking on my own. That wasn't just a natural skill set I had. I actually had to learn how to professionally network. I'm so glad I did because man, that is a 21st century cornerstone skill. No matter what the industry, no matter if you're a side hustler or a full-time employee, 
please learn how to network. It will do you so many favors in life. It will bless you in, in ways you won't even expect. Um, but just knowing things aren't going to be perfect. And despite all my blunders, like I'm okay with it because I'm not really expecting perfection. We, we call uh, Ray Dalio talks about entrepreneurship as being the jungle. And like we enter the jungle big time and have really had to just embrace all the sort of the wild elements and unique, crazy stories because like we chose it, right? We chose the jungle and, and the two-ended stick that comes with that is the rewards and the adventure. So yeah. And, and one other thing that I wanted to say that I think is really important for probably anyone in, in life is just learning how to reframe failure. Because for me, being that control risk averse type person, you know, I thought of doing something if it doesn't work as a failure, but really, again, if you don't have those major issues, it's an opportunity to get better and to learn. And so we have done more of that lately because we've just had more confidence that like, we don't know that we're going to be good to start out with but we know we can learn and we know we can get better. And if the risks are within a certain parameter, like what the heck live a little. So I guess those would be some of the mistakes and, and even really mindset that I had to overcome. Another small stepping stone for me in terms of public speaking, I used to have to write down every single word I was going to share when I public spoke mm. in the early phases, which is so intense because if you've got pages and pages of what you need to say and you lose your spot, Ooh. it is terrifying. <laughs> and you can't focus on connecting with an audience, right? So I think that's an area I've just really had to grow in a lot and embrace the fumbles and like the weird, weird moments. But just again, having that learning mindset knowing like every time I'm gonna focus on getting better and improving. Have you continued speaking throughout the pandemic or is that kind of, again, this is a nice segue coming up. Is that kind of what led to Tandem Talks, your podcast? Yeah, well, we, we've still done a lot virtually. We haven't unfortunately done much in person. So we're excited for that to open up a little bit more. I mean, it's just a pretty remarkable feeling to be in front of a live audience and like really pull that energy and, mm. you know, get that yeah, immediate that. feedback and yeah. feeling like kind of a high, right? But no, we, we've supplemented with all sorts of virtual stuff, but Tandem Talks has been a neat way to just highlight like really BA entrepreneurs that have a ton of wisdom to share and have a lot of thought process and really digging in a bit deeper with them on that journey because we relate to it in so many ways and we get to learn from them. So yeah. As far as the podcast itself, have I think it's like joining a podcast as a guest is a fantastic way to help promote your message and, and meet new people and get out there. I'm very happy to have met you, too. I think hopefully you feel the same way. It's wonderful all around. So for people that are maybe not as comfortable going on someone else's podcast as a guest, what's your top podcasting tip as a guest? Mm. Wow, that's I've been asked that yeah, question. No asked us Boom! It's my goal every episode. <laughs> oh, good. You you slid one by the goalie on that one. Uh, <laughs> but we haven't been doing it as I mean, we've only been doing that for like a year or year and a half, right? That we've really been attending podcasts. But I guess the biggest thing that comes to my mind is to have um, some key points and key takeaways that you can give your audience if you're not super comfortable sometimes public speaking or just sharing off the cuff. 
Um, and you can always defer back to those points or some of the key um, takeaways that people can have because once in a while when we have a guest on and it's like they just don't give any takeaways to like tangible tips. Yeah. So you want to talk mindset, but then, okay, how then does that translate into like, what do I change in my behavior? Right. So being able to touch on both of those, if you have at least half a dozen or a dozen of those key points that you can make, you can always find a way to to finagle and politicians are really good at this. It's like, Hey, Joey, thanks for asking that question. But what I really want to talk about is the importance of life set because you haven't mentioned the word life set. And I really wanted to talk about that today. Right. And so then I can say whatever I want. So, um, there's some, some elements of that that you can do, but I think just maybe having some of those key things, what would, what would you say? I mean, you've done probably podcasting more than we have. So what would you give as a tip? Yeah, I would say that the first thing is to relax. I think it's a very easy to word vomit immediately as soon as you get on and kind of just black out and go go wild for eight or nine minutes. I still have a, uh, I took a public speaking course in college and this is still some of my favorite advice before any kind of speaking engagement. She says to literally shake out the bad feeling. So you like shake your arms and legs and she throws in, she says, just go, ew, like you're getting rid of them. You're shaking them out of your body. You're throwing them out. And so if I am at a place where I can yell out ew in the middle of the room without drawing a scene to myself, then I'll still do it. And I'm like, it's, it works. Like it, it helps relax and yeah. calm down a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a great tip too, of having tangible takeaways because um, I've, I've found this on Clubhouse uh, the few times I've kind of poked in there of someone will talk for about 20 minutes and then I'm like, what did they say? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. remember yeah. anything. So, yeah, well, and in this day and age, like we don't have people's attention for that long because people have five other devices with all their social media accounts and, mm -hmm. you know, everything else. So our goal is how do we produce 20 minutes of content in five minutes and like really offer value. And that's as like keynote speakers, but that's something we aspire to do in podcasts so that people really feel like they got something of value. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about a podcast is you can edit it, although we haven't been editing ours, but I mean, you can always... Worst case scenario. Some of the dumb really... things I say today, Joey, you can just pop it right out of there. This final episode will be four minutes long. Yeah. Well, I think, I think though too, when people tell a story or, you know, we were talking about our background and maybe I talked a touch long there. So I apologize. That might've been a five minute tangent, but the, the <laughs> idea is to work in points within the story. So there's takeaways, right? So it's like, I talked about trying to do real estate investments, but then I realized I needed a who. Right. And so then that's a point to the story. So someone can take that away. So it's not just a random story in someone's life. It's something that, that people can, can learn from. Yeah. I'll also add that. It's we obviously like, feel a lot, talk a lot about this is a good topic. Go well, ahead. this, and I think, <laughs> you know, speaking, it's very similar to right, 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 yeah. it's, it's less about what you want to say, but what does your audience need to hear? And I hear a lot of speakers like they are just loving what they're having to share, but like, what's the relevancy to the audience? Is it actually adding value? Is it something they could even duplicate or, mm -hmm. or leverage? And so I think there's this ego piece where it's like, okay, I've got some really cool stories I could share, Joey, but what does the audience actually need to hear? <laughs> <laughs> We can we can chat cool stories later as well because we'll I always enjoy stories. the cool stories. Yes. Yeah, yes. it'll be great. And Craig, you set this up nicely again, just rolling through the segues here. You mentioned life set, and this is a oh, okay. question that I always like to ask. I was is being asking, fifty percent sarcastic. <laughs> no, no, no. I I have it on the list. We're getting to it. It's going to be magical. I I like to do this. This is a little less work for me. I ask you a question you wish you were asked more frequently, and 
you, you asked, what does life set mean and why is it important? So let's dive on in. Ah, sure. Cool. Um, thank you for asking that question. What a great one. <laughs> uh, so if mindset is our way of thinking, we define life set as our way of living. And I think what happens is a lot of people are getting consumed by a lot of content or they're consuming content or being consumed, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, and great content, the Gary Vaynerchuks and like all the amazing content producers out there. But how do we apply that to our life and our business or start a business using that content can be very difficult. Being temporarily motivated and jacked up is great when I get in the shower, but by the time I'm out of the shower, I don't know how to apply it. And so we run into a lot of people who have, like you talk to them and they sound like they've listened to a bajillion videos, uh, motivational videos, but like they're broke, right? Or they, they can't manage their finances because they haven't figured out how to translate that mindset into a business or how to apply it. And so we talk about life set being a few different pillars, like your finances and, you know, your health and your relationships. And if you can get that stuff at least stabilized, then it makes it a lot easier to build a side hustle to a significant level. Because if you're all messed up in your job and your relationship, the first thing you're going to take off the burner is the side hustle. Every time the side hustle, go, oh, I can't add this to my plate. I don't have time. And it's valid in so many ways. Yeah, it's right? valid because you didn't manage your finances to begin with, right? So yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. You should jump in on the meal or like more often like that. Anyways, okay. So <laughs> uh, uh, the idea then is that if we can establish those baselines and actually translate the life set as proof that the mindset is solid right? And um, you don't have it right away. So you have to kind of go out into life and live. And then it's like, you get to work through that. Um, so that's the foundation of it. And, and I think that a lot of people are talking mindset, but then, you know, they're missing, there's a gap there. And so how do we help people with the life set part? And that's what we talk about in the book. And at least a couple of those pillars, it's hard to, hard to touch on all of them. We had a big talk on relationships, uh, our big chapter, it was three chapters, it got to one chapter, and then it got cut. So <laughs> if you're feeling sorry for anyone during the pandemic, any authors, you can feel sorry for Carrie, because she put a lot of heart and soul into that. So maybe a second book, maybe a second book. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, any of that spillover content, I think is perfect. And as someone who is writing a collection of short stories all about life's quirky relationships, I, I empathize with that. So I'd, oh, I'd love cool. to see it that's at least exciting. we have at least one customer. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be that'll be fun stuff. Wonderful. So that's what you're writing right now? Yes, it's actually uh, in the the editing phase, which is like both terrifying and, you know, exciting. But yeah. when you when you don't have the control of it, and you're like, I wonder if this will be totally hated by everyone. But I'm no, I'm we sure it's start, great. We could start a support group, Joey, because we feel yes. we've been there. We know what it's like. Intellectually, yes. emotionally, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was go through that developmental editing of our book. It was brutal and and awesome, you know, because we learned a ton. So yeah, the book got so much better as a function of of a ton of feedback and changes. So yeah, it's it's remarkable. I mean, I, I should have clarified. I guess I'm in the proof proofreading. It's being proofread, so it's beyond okay. beyond that. Which is yeah, it was so helpful just to see even like trivial things like. You start several lines of dialogue with well, and I, I don't say that in real life, but apparently when I write it, it's like a crutch for me to, to have uh, some random person just say, well, here's what I have to say. And I'm, you, so, you want to share one of the feedbacks you got, honey, from the editor? Oh, well, it was just one word in, the, in a chapter I wrote, um, but on the side, our editor was like amazing and super straightforward new yorker um but all the comments said was i hate this period 
And you know you have a good self-image when you can read that about something you produced and be like, all right, shit, I guess she knows her stuff. Let's take this out. Let's switch this up and move on, right? But we, we have to laugh because as coaches, we give a lot of feedback. And so it was actually a neat position to be in to get that level of feedback um, about something so personal to us too and so important to us. And I think it was a really good perspective, good, a good awesome. reminder about like Super the awesome. emotion that can be so tied to tied to things when you're giving people suggestions or critiquing a little bit, right? Yeah, I love that directness. That's fantastic. Even even though I'm sure it was like, oh, <laughs> quick quick freight train real quick. And then it's like, okay, we can get through it. Yeah. Now, before we hop into the top three, I have a very important question that I believe you two are the first Midwesterners I've uh, interviewed since I heard this statement. But a few weeks ago, uh, I, so I live in Austin, Texas now, but I grew up in the Chicago area. And I was talking with a, a man named Austin, which I always find entertaining when I, I'm talking to an Austin in Austin. And he made a comment that Chicago is not a part of the Midwest. Mm. And what react to that. Do you agree? Disagree? What do you think? Yeah, I would, I would kind of lean that way. I, I would not. Chicago okay. is like super Midwest. I would say St. Mm. Louis is not Midwest, but people call it Midwest. What? How? It's, it's definitely got like a Southern, well, more Southern vibe. St. Louis? No. Yeah, okay. That is not, that does not feel Midwest to me, but Chicago man right there. I, I think the heart of Chicago is a little more businessy, a little more Frank, a little more Kurt direct. I think that's what they were, they were going for. Right. Um, I would, I would agree with that. So maybe Carrie and I disagree on this one. Not the first time that's happened. We'll <laughs> be the last <laughs> I like it. No, I like the the two sides. Yeah, I think I'm I I mean, I'm probably biased because I did grow up around there, but I think it's part of the Midwest because it is mm-hmm. there you do have those kind of like businessy elements, but I think even in the city, I've met so many nice people in Chicago that I probably don't get <laughs> as much I, I I'm trying to remember a quote that I, I just read recently about New York and LA where it's like New York has like the nicest assholes you'll ever meet and LA has the the like um rudest kind people or something something like Absolutely. that where it's like they'll they'll give you a compliment but it's kind of backhanded so whereas right. a new yorker they, will like yell nice. at you yeah yeah i will yeah. say though joy like when we do keynotes in illinois i'll always ask like have any of you met anyone from wisconsin before and people like look around they're like why would we know someone from wisconsin <laughs> it's just it's kind of a comical dynamic between wisconsin and illinois <laughs> you just got to pluck an obscure <laughs> Illinois suburb. Like any, anyone from Naperville out here? No? Yeah, okay. exactly. exactly. <laughs> it is pretty spectacular how different like south of even like 20 minutes south of Chicago, it just cha- like the rest of Illinois just changes. So yeah, it's, that is pretty entertaining, though. But <laughs> I just needed to I needed to check with my fellow Midwestern. Yeah. Uh, or oh. maybe not fellow, according to Craig, but we'll. <laughs> No, outside of Chicago is different, I would say. If you're if you're suburbanite, then that feels more Midwest. But anyways, probably some okay, okay. I'm a yeah, I'm a Skokieite, so I okay, have yeah. You're, yeah, you're you're one of us. You're in. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> All right, hopping into the top three, and you can either each take your top three or c- combine tandem it, if you will, for a top three. Ooh. Top three reasons to take your side hustle seriously. Wow. Let's go back and forth. I mean, number one, okay. because I think you deserve to have the life that you want. And if your side hustle can be a medium to do that, like you should fight super, super hard 
to use it and to leverage it to create growth and the kind of growth that you want. That's number one. I think that most people are more, the vast majority of people are more dynamic than their job title, right? So your job title only can allow you to do certain kinds of work at your company. Like when I was a risk analyst, they were not asking me to do marketing, right? And I am dynamic as a human being. And so from the side hustles, I worked on business development and sales skills, and that allowed me to scale better in the corporate world. Uh, and so I think that expanding your skills, learning new skills is really important. There's a quote by Stephen M. R. Covey in his book, The Speed of Trust, where he says, learning a new skill, being able to learn new skills is more important in the 21st century than being an expert in any one skill. Um, so I think skill diversification, essentially being able to create more dynamic types of work in your life is, is uh, one of mine. Back to you, honey. So now do we have to agree on the third one or no, arm I, wrestle? Maybe, we, maybe every each, other word you can each do. We each get three. Okay. Let me, let me do another one then since I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling this topic. I wrote this chapter like four times and then it got scratched <laughs> and I had to rewrite it. So uh, I have so many reasons. Having one way to make income in the 21st century is for the vast majority of people, I think, irresponsible. It doesn't make sense. You don't put all your money in one stock and then hope that the stock does well. You diversify. Why everyone is taught to diversify their investments but not their income streams is an incompetence of our traditional educational system. I'm a firm believer in this. Not only do you get uh, the ability to diversify your income as well as the other things we've already talked about, but it comes with certain tax deductions. Um, you know, part of your internet, part of your cell phone costs, all of those now become tax deductions. So a lot of times, even the cost of starting a side hustle can be hedged or offset by different tax savings, especially if you're a high-end professional. So um, that would be my number three. Do you want to add one more or do we I each will. get three? Because no, no, I think I this will show you the difference in Craig and my <laughs> motivations and how our brains work. His were all very like practical um, economical reasons. The last thing I would say is for the adventure. I think so many people are living like a lot of boredom. They're really fighting through a lot of boredom in their life. Um, and again, I think and, it and might they don't go, even know it sometimes. Yeah. I think it might go back to the fulfillment gap. Right. And they might think, Oh, it's just my job or my boss sucks. So I need to find a different job. I think people aren't challenged enough in their life. I don't think enough people are out in the jungle the entrepreneurial jungle, like really stretching themselves and, and living on the edge of their competency, which is thrilling in so many ways. It's terrifying. It's thrilling. It's an adrenaline rush, sometimes a little anxiety producing, but that's what like keeps us alive. And this feeling of being in the pursuit is what I think a lot of people are missing. And that's why, whether it is the sourdough business we're kind of joking about or something more substantial that you want to scale, like get out into the game and, and have an adventure um, because it's, it's just so worth it on an interpersonal level beyond all the economic factors and, and ways to make, make a lot of money or create that life vision. Yeah. And, and, and we talk about, it's like, if you think anyone who's listening, if you think about going on a roller coaster and if you love roller coasters, being on a roller coaster is a blast, right? Like there's the corkscrews and the ups and the downs. But if you're petrified of roller coasters and you don't want to be on one, like I was when I was like 11 and not quite ready for it, they're miserable. And so I think if people can embrace that sense of adventure and still keep your day job, like we're not talking about, you know, selling your mortgaging your house and like selling your children and stuff to raise the capital. I mean, we're just talking about, <laughs> 
evenings and weekends, take a little time and build something for yourself. It can bring that adventure and can create a better balance because we all either create, we all crave adventure and we all crave predictability. And so a lot of times it's just about having that balance. That roller coaster analogy just brought back a few, a few rough moments, but <laughs> I, I like it. I like it overall. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then so think of it as a type of roller coaster. Doesn't yes, it? yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Not that one back in 1990, Joey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. I don't know if Joey's old enough to be on a roller coaster in 1990. Yeah, that might have been negligent parroting at that point, but who knows? Maybe I maybe I like was wearing <laughs> stilts Wrapped that the newborn day. in. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Craig and Carrie, you're officially off the hook. Thank you so much for hopping on. If people want to check out your book, so you want to start a side hustle, build a business that empowers you to live your life your way, or just learn more about what you do with Tandem Consulting, check out a Tandem Talks. Where can they find you? So uh, tandemconsulting.co is our website that we actually, we weren't even doing any social media 24 months ago. So we just started building a lot of this out. We built our businesses with, without social media. Um, otherwise, people can get the book direct on amazon.com. And if you like it, leave a good review. If you don't like it, leave a bad review and we'll, we'll get better. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. This was wonderful. And of course, we got to end with a corny joke like we always do. And I tried to make it topical to our episode today. But why do clowns make such bad entrepreneurs? Hmm. The competitor in me really wants to crack this. Yeah, can, but... we, can we have an hour? <laughs> the sound yes, of we'll us thinking, does that translate well to radio? <laughs> I can play the Jeopardy theme and be sued for No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Lay it, lay it off. Lay it on uh, Craig, I, I think I heard you mutter something close to the answer, but they're into some real funny business. Mm. get after it today people. I like okay. it <laughs> yeah. it's always an adjacent word to the actual yeah. <laughs> Good People Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas if you were a fan of this episode go ahead and hit that follow button that helps more people hear the show as always you can send me a message joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.